Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Listening to Talking Out Loud, still the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among all Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud, the only show on the internet solely dedicated to your Dayton Flyers. My name's Sully. I always host the program when I can, and I can on this Wednesday afternoon leading into our Thursday release date, which we always release episodes. Yep, you got it. New episodes of Talking Out Loud every Thursday from now until the season starts. And the season as of the day this was released is 33 days away. We have a jam-packed show tonight, two guests for you. Yes, I said two guests, David Jablonski from the Dayton Daily News and one of my favorite content creators in college basketball circles, Jeff Nadeau. He goes by the big man on campus on Twitter, will be joining us on the back half of the show. But before I get to those guests, I have my confidant and friendly podcast buddy with me, Drew, to talk about some of the issues of the day before we get to those interviews. What's up, Drew? How we doing, Sully? Happy to be back. Just doing the uh, the come down from the Monday Night Football Loud Bowl. Put a lot of oh, effort, yeah. you know, as the leading man of the University of Dayton NFL takeover. I've had a lot of time. I'm, you know, I've had a lot of time wrapped up in that recently, especially yeah. with Monday Night Football coming up. That that was a big night, big night for us. Uh, Brandon Staley getting the win over John Gruden uh, for his Los Angeles Chargers. So now we transition out of that since they don't play till Week 18. We're in full Dayton basketball mode. Yeah, and I was about to say the best part about Loud Bowl is that because they're in the same division, we get Loud Bowl twice a year. It's a twofer, twofer, just like it this is. episode. It's great. And and I feel like people have forgotten, but you shouldn't forget that University of Dayton graduates are responsible for five Super Bowl rings as coaches. And you might be asking yourself, how did we get to five, Sully? And I will tell you, it's because the Pittsburgh Steelers have four Super Bowl rings under Chuck Knoll, who just happens to be a University of Dayton graduate himself and, of secondary consequence, a man from Cleveland. So everybody can take a little bit of piece of Chuck Knoll. You know, whether UD grad, you're from Cleveland, Pittsburgh Steelers guy like myself, everybody gets a little piece of Chuck Knoll, all right? And then we got John Gruden, of course, 
who won a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, in 2003, getting you to five Super Bowl rings. Drew, you have been carrying the torch for the Loud Bowl. Um, and that is, like you said, that's the top of the news right now for Dayton graduates, whether you're a basketball or football fan. I mean, we get Loud Bowl twice a year. And I, I mean, let's be honest, it's pretty great to see University of Dayton graduates on Monday Night Football for everyone. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. It was the primetime game that everybody was talking about going into week four. I don't know what happened on Sunday night. Don't don't need to know. It was Monday night football loud bowl. But anyway, like I said, it is very it was very, very cool. Uh, You know, obviously the first time I've ever got to see something like that. I was very much looking forward to the game and it was a good game to boot, too. You know, Uh, two really good teams. Uh, Browns play the Chargers this week, so I'll get another good look at uh, Brandon Staley once again. So uh, looking forward to watching uh, him progress. He seems like the real deal. Holyfield. He does. And he, uh, Brandon Staley gets a lot of good press and he gets um, a lot of good feedback from the media on just like how he conducts himself, um, how he uses analytics for his game plan. Um, so not that we, you know, promote football on this podcast, but we promote Dayton Flyers on this podcast. It was worthy. It was worthy of a little a little bit at the intro. It, it is. It is. You know, it's relevant Dayton Flyers news. Um, so before we get to the interviews today on the show, I basically wanted to do my due diligence as a responsible podcast host and bring people up to speed on the news and the things that are going on around the college basketball landscape. And to be honest with you, if you're a Dayton fan that doesn't necessarily follow the college basketball news in the offseason, um, fret not you're probably the same as 95% of college basketball fans, okay? But now that we are about a month away from the season, it's probably good to give you a nice little recap of everything that's gone down in the offseason. We talk a little bit about Dayton's schedule and the things that pertain to us, but in the landscape of college basketball, there actually has been a pretty big summer of news, and the summer is typically when the offseason takes place. Um, but, you know, Drew, if you, you think back a couple of months ago, we had the landmark 9-0 Supreme Court decision that basically tore the NCAA down saying that uh, their monopoly on college athletics would not be legal in any other industry. Um, you know, you don't see the Supreme Court vote 9-0 on issues like hardly ever. So it was a very swift judgment. And then there was the restructuring of the NCA constitution thereafter. And then there was another remodeling of the NCA investigative process uh, over the off season. There were policy changes because of COVID. Of course, some programs are going to be um, having mass in the arena. Most programs are going to require all their players to be vaccinated. Um, and then, of course, there was a gender equity review in the women's NCA tournaments trying to determine, you know, if the NCAA properly, um, properly supported women's basketball teams, which I'm pretty sure we all know the answer to this question. It's just to what degree uh, did they transgress, right? So we had all that. And then about a week ago, uh, the NCAA decided that they are taking a very serious look at combining the men's and women's tournaments for uh, basketball and putting them all in one location. So, Drew, while you look up the attendance of the last Women's National Basketball Championship, uh, a couple of the facts that, because I didn't look it up beforehand, so you can see where I'm going with this. This is why I have Drew Reno's, like, he's the stats guy. Um, But the current agreement for the NCAA tournament lasts through 2026, and then they are announcing the sites for 
2027 through 2031 all at once, and they typically do this in the fall. So uh, by, let's say, next summer, the NCAA will have made a decision on whether to join the men's and women's tournaments together in one location. Now, the way that I see this is that this is a classic knife cuts both ways situation. And Drew, I'd love for you to weigh on this as well. But on the positive side, you are going to be exposing the women's tournament to a ton. I mean, thousands of people in person that otherwise would have not had exposure to the women's tournament. That is, I think we can all agree, a positive outcome for women's basketball in general. You're going to have media that cover college basketball for the men that never get a chance to cover the women's games because they overlap in such a way. And you'll also have fans of the men's tournament. Let's say um, you go to the you know, final four on Saturday, the women's title game is always on Sunday. So you can have like a, Hey, we don't have anything else going on today. Why don't we check out the women's game? So you would have to think that attendance would go up. Now on the flip side, the women's tournament is always going to be overshadowed by what is taking place for the men's tournament. There's no debate. The men's tournament is a significantly larger event, brings in significantly more revenue, significantly more people watch. So it'll always be overshadowed by the men's tournament. And I think that puts the onus on the NCAA to come up with some type of structure that allows the women's tournament to get the shine that it would otherwise get on a different site. So I think that it could increase attendance numbers. I don't think it'll impact the TV viewership whatsoever. If I had to guess, that's my personal opinion. Um, But again, you know, having the tournament in the same place, let's say in like an Indianapolis or a San Antonio, you know, do you the women's tournaments always in a basketball arena and you wouldn't switch it to a football arena because you couldn't quite sell that many tickets. I mean, the men's you know tournament obviously has the luxury of being able to sell so many tickets they can fill up a football stadium. But, you know, does it really benefit the women's game to have their championship in a basketball arena and then the football cha- or the the men's championship in a football arena. These are the things I'm contending with, Drew. I think there's very clear and obvious positives for this situation. Um, But I also think that this could backfire in a pretty significant way as well. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that I think they should try. You know, you'll never know like unless a one you year try. sample like, set type of thing. Just, just run it one, just run it one year and see how it goes. It, it yeah. feels again, like one of those things. Cause like you said, I was going to say, I got back up for listeners, but this isn't going to take place until 2027. All the sites right. for both have been determined through 2026. So go on. Yeah, you're right. Right. And it's just, I think it's one of those things that you should just try because there are positives to, to doing it and there are negatives to not doing it and vice versa. I just think it's, it truly is one of those things. You have to try it and see how it goes. I've, and, if, and you know what? If it goes well, you have, you have hit what is essentially a grand slam. Because yep. you are bringing you are bringing eyes to both of your products for both the men and the women. If you if you pull this off, and I struggle to think the NCAA would, but if you pull it off, you, you really have created something special and new, and that is not easy to do in today's day and age. And I agree. The other the other thing about this, I was thinking about it while you were you know given the first part of this monologue, is if you ha- happen to have it, and this is very rare. But if a school, both men and women, make the Final Four, what a special like weekend that could be for those alumni and those Dream students. Scenario. Dream scenario. Dream scenario. You know, let, let's take Baylor, for example. You know, 
both national champions here in the last five to 10 years and both men and women. If they both make the final four, how great would that be if you were a Baylor student or a Baylor alumni to go to one location and you get to see both teams play? And I agree with you. And I think it would work out because you could have the men's in the football stadium and you could have the women's in the arena. And you go to these cities where, you know, the football stadium and the basketball arena, you know, they could only be 10 blocks apart. So I do think there are a lot of positives and a lot of great ways. Obviously, it would take a lot of hard work and planning and very extra care. I think it could be done. But again, I'll just say what I said at the beginning is it's, I just think it's one of those things you, you need to try. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with you. Um, you know, down the road in 2027, you probably do just have to try it out to see how it goes. Um, the logistics of it, and I got this idea to talk about it because this past week on the Ion College Basketball podcast, Gary Parish, Matt Norlander of CBS Sports, who cover the sport year round, um, brought this up and they said the same thing that you did, Drew, that it would be such a special thing if a school had to, you know, both of their men's and women's team in the final four at the same time. Um, did you happen to look up the attendance number for, let's say, the 2019 Women's National Championship game? So I have been looking. Uh, this is according to Wikipedia. So if, if it is wrong, uh, do not drag my feet over the coals for it. Uh, blame whoever updated the the uh, Wikipedia page. But according to Wikipedia, the 2019 National Championship game between the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and the Baylor Lady Bears, which had a lot of juice to it. I do remember that. Uh, the attendance was 20,127. Okay. Hot. And that's exactly the same number that I got on ESPN. So let's verify Perfect. it. Yep. Bonafide fact. Yeah. Okay, so there so, you go. So <clears throat> the point I'm getting to with this is that you, you talked about like, oh, logistically, oh, could they make it work? And, you know, I don't think the logistics change all that much. Like is adding 20,000 people that much of a burden to final four weekend, you know, and would you be adding 20,000 people? Because like, wouldn't some of that be overlap? So yeah, I, I tend to think that the logistics of adding the women's crowd is not that uh, overwhelming of a prospect um, just because the women's final four does draw, but it basically gets like almost a sold out basketball arena. Almost. So if you if you change it to to one city, I don't think that you would be putting so much stress on a location to host. And this was also said in the same episode I was referencing. If Indianapolis can hold the entire men's basketball championship, I'm pretty sure they could add in just the women's tournament with the final four for the men's. That's well, my hypothesis. And, and the thing about it is, is if you do combine these things, the potential number of host cities does decrease. There are only yeah. so many cities that would be able to accommodate something like this on such a like hectic week. You got to think Super Bowl, like Super Bowl host cities, which, of which Indianapolis is one. And then, you yeah. you know, you have Miami, you have Dallas, you have, you know, L.A. San Antonio. Yeah. Maybe. I was at this. I'll just say maybe on San Antonio. You, you could yeah. with the Alamo Dome. And the thing is, the Spurs arena is kind of like, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. that like, sure, maybe a fringe, but what, what I had in mind is that you're basically windling it down to Super Bowl host cities. 
That's pretty fair. Yeah, that's very fair. So in any case, it was worth bringing up uh, to start the show today because I thought it was a very interesting thing. Um, won't have a ton of impact on us here at Dayton, but it is news in college basketball nonetheless. Um, other thing that I thought was super interesting that Gary Parish and Norlander were doing this summer is they have a Candid Coaches series where they ask 100 coaches various questions. And again, you can find all this stuff on CBS Sports or you can listen to Ion College Basketball Podcast. But I feel it's my duty as a local podcast host to disseminate this information to you from the national guys. That's just, again, Drew, I'm just being diligent here. Okay. But um, one of the things that they got into uh, this past week was about an issue that surely will be impacting college basketball this year, and it is about vaccination rates. So uh, pulled up some stats. They asked 100 coaches, how many players on your team are fully vaccinated? And the good news here is that 70% of the respondents had the entire team vaccinated or all but one player of one holdout. So 70% is pretty good, I'm saying. Um, so really what we're going to run into in, in this situation or the, you know, specifically for college basketball is that because this isn't the NBA, guys aren't getting paid. Their coaches have a great deal more, or they can they can hold things over the player's head a greater deal, right? Because they just have more at stake. They have more on the line. The coaches have more of those keys to like who plays, who gets scholarship, all that kind of stuff, right? So fortunately or unfortunately, you're under kind of the rule of the head coach. And a lot of the coaches said that they're going to start making life uncomfortable for the players that do not get vaccinated. Now, um, whether you stand on the it's your choice, whether you get it or whether you're on the side of, hey, you absolutely have to get it. This is a crude example to make, but it falls kind of in line with the marijuana debate that's always been going on in pro sports when people are like, how are you going to punish this guy for just smoking some weed? And in the same way of vaccination, hold on, Drew, I know that you're, you're gasping. But you see where I'm going with this is that these same issues, the rules are very clearly outlined now. Okay. You need to get vaccinated to play college basketball. So again, whether you're on one side of the debate or the other, the rules are very clear, just like they always have been like in the NFL when you're smoking marijuana, like you couldn't do it. And guys that were doing it, they kept getting suspended and people kept getting mad about it. And it's like, okay, but they know the rules. So now we're getting to a situation, Drew, where coaches are going to start making life uncomfortable for their players that are not vaccinated because you guessed it. It is in their best interest to do so. And once money comes on the line or once money is put on the line for grown adults that have jobs to do, you can bet their, your ass that they are going to make life uncomfortable for college students to achieve their goals and their outcomes. Right. Certainly. And, you know, going back to this piece, the the first quote for and they have the quotes that stood out here. And I say and I quote. Every student at our school is required to be vaccinated, athletes and non-athletes. This was never a concern for us. If somebody didn't want to get vaccinated, they would have to transfer. And that is basically yeah. what you're going to get from a lot of these coaches. It's simple. So if, you, if you're sitting there right now and you're like, how dare they make kids do this? I, okay, need to back up. They're not making kids do anything. They're simply saying, if you would like the right and the privilege to play basketball for our university or even attend our university at all, these are the terms that you need to meet. And if you don't like them, there are plenty of schools that you can go to and not be vaccinated and still play or not be vaccinated and still attend. And 
it's kind of like the same discussion we have about college basketball all the time when kids are like, oh, it's such a raw deal in college basketball. It's like, okay, great. Go overseas. No one's holding your feet to the fire and no one has a gun to your head to come play college basketball just in the same way that no one has a gun to your head to go get vaccinated. But the consequences are real and there are, you know, there's a freedom of choice in this matter, but there is not a freedom of consequence. And it's going to continue to be like that, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, you don't have to like it, but these schools operate on to the beat of their own drum. And if they want all their students to be vaccinated, well, that's, you know, that's the way they're going to get it. And like you said, it's not like they're holding these kids down to the chair and sticking them, sticking them in the arm. They're, but yeah. they're telling them like, well, if you're not going to do this, you, you have to go find somewhere else to go. And with how relaxed the transfer rules have become now, that's easier than ever to do. It is absolutely right. So there's that was, you know, something that, again, like politically speaking or wherever you are on the issue, we don't really want to get into that. Just the news of the day, the news of the week. And as we head into college basketball season, this is going to be something that's talked about. You know, I don't think we're going to have scheduled cancellations anymore. Um, I I really don't think we're going to go down that road this season. Um, You might have to wear masks in some arenas. UD arena is probably going to be one of them, at least from the outset. Um, You know, stay the course. But that's the news. Uh, last issue of the day we wanted to touch on before we get to the David Jablonski interview was about the future of cheating in college basketball. So the next question that was asked in this survey to 100 anonymous coaches is how concerned are you about the G League Ignite and Overtime Elite? Um, these are just two other avenues that you could go into instead of playing college basketball. How concerned are you that these other two avenues are going to impact the future of college basketball? And Drew, 77% of coaches said they were mildly concerned or not concerned at all. So didn't want to touch on this in a lot of great detail, but I wanted to outline that the name image and likeness thing that we talked about in the summer where athletes are now allowed to profit off of, you guessed it, their name, image and likeness that has changed the college landscape. And it has led to obviously more cheating uh, coaches are making deals, even though they shouldn't uh, to get recruits. Uh, FedEx has been brought up multiple times in how they're throwing money at players and a quick Google search will tell you that FedEx is headquartered in Memphis, Tennessee and, uh, you know, pretty famous head coach called Penny Hardaway is at Memphis, Tennessee. So read between the lines of what's going on down there to get recruits. And so while coaches are saying that that name image and likeness has ramped up the cheating and basically made cheating kind of legal in a sense. One of the things that we are not really worried about in college basketball right now is the other avenues that kids can pursue. And I wanted to bring this up, Drew, because I feel like every year we have this discussion where people are, you know, basically bitching about the circumstances and the conditions of college basketball. And just like we said, You don't have to go college basketball. There are other routes that you can go, but college basketball will continue forever and ever for the foreseeable future. It will continue to be the best way for kids to elevate their basketball game, get into Europe or get into the NBA and be as marketable as possible because the NCAA and college basketball in general is still the best way for you to market your skills and abilities as a student athlete, right? Yep. And money talks and, you know, TV companies aren't going out and paying hundred millions of dollars for the G league rights, but they are going out to pay that money for big 10 basketball rights. They are going out there to pay the rights for college basketball. You know, it's, it's a money business. It's a money game. And you know what? Like 
college, this NIL stuff, I've been, you know, I've been following along all year. People have been cheating in college sports since before there was color TV. What, oh my God, what yeah. are we trying to stop here? You know, at least now you at least have, you have some way where the kids can make some money for themselves legally. You know, yep. that was the, that was the other part of this is these kids couldn't, they couldn't take 20 bucks to get, to, to get Taco Bell. You know, they couldn't yeah. take money, they couldn't take money or gifts or do commercials or be in video games. Like those kids deserve those things. You know, they bring so much money and notoriety to their universities for what they do on the athletic field. They deserve some money for their effort. And look, like, absolutely, it's not like these kids are going out and getting paid salaries to go to these schools. And the big schools are always going to have the better deals anyway. It's been that way, like I said, forever. And what yeah. this isn't going to change that. So my thing with the NIL is, is that the kids are getting a, a slice of the pie now and things are just going to continue. It doesn't matter what rules you put in place. Coaches and administrators and bag men and all the like are going to find ways to circumvent it and get around it or find some loophole where they can offer some kid more money to come play for the university because that's just how it works. Yeah, that is. That's how it works. And it's it's kind of the agreement you sign up for, right? Like if you're going to sign up to play college yes. basketball, you are basically agreeing that you are, let's say, lending your services to a university. But in turn, what you're getting is the university like, you know, and right. I think a lot of kids in the in the NIL discussion now are learning that what's most valuable and has always been and is still going to be most valuable is the school logo. Yep. Putting on that jersey and representing the school is always going to be the most valuable thing. Now, it obviously can improve your marketability, and it does in a lot of cases for kids. But, you know, if you take the jersey off of 95% of college basketball players, nobody outside their home market knows who they are. That's just the reality of the business. And we talked about this on the show when it first came out was that the percentage of athletes that this is going to affect is going to be small. And we're seeing that play out right now. Um, Drew, I, it's it's not final thoughts, but we're doing the show a little bit out of whack today. Um, do you have anything else to add before we get to the jabs interview? Uh, not particularly. Just happy to be back behind uh, behind the microphone. I'm very, very excited for the season this year. It truly, truly does feel like a clean slate, uh, a new generation, a new start for the Dayton basketball program. Everyone from the 2020 team is now off to greener pastures and doing whatever they are doing with their life, whether it be playing basketball or any other job or source of income. I just couldn't be more to look forward to this season with a whole new cast of characters and a podcast with you and write about it uh, as we move. Yeah. Forward. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, if you're wondering why we haven't had an uh, article go out on the website on BlackburnReview.com, uh, we're still working with WordPress, I guess, to get the site fixed. It's been down for a couple of months and then there was maintenance and now we're having trouble getting the site back up. But we're in the process of doing that. So um, rest assured, we will be writing articles. But for now, preseason podcast is what you get in Dayton Flyer Lamb. Um, all right. Without further ado, we got two guests coming up. First one is David Jablonski of the Dayton Daily News. And he is on the other side of the break. You're listening to Talking Out Loud here with Sully and Drew. Joined now and talking out loud by our very own beat writer at the Dayton Daily News. Some people call him David Jablonski, but we just simply call him Jabs. Jabs, what's going on today? It's uh, early preseason here. I guess late preseason as it would be. And we're finally going to start to get some news about the Dayton Flyers here shortly, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, we're meeting uh, with Coach Grant tomorrow and 
Tumani Kamara and uh, Elijah Weaver also talked to the media. Uh, right, I think right at the start of practice or, or right at the end uh, over at the Kernan Center at the practice facility. That will be the first time we've talked to them since the summer. We had uh, the same two guys and Coach Grant at the end of the like the last practice of the summer. So, um, you know, haven't had much access to Anthony. He did talk to me for my UD Arena book history book that I'm writing, uh, but we didn't really get into the, the season because I wasn't really there for that. Um, that was back in uh, early September. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how practices are going. I mean, um, I don't know if we'll find out anything you know, really specific. He's not going to give us his starting lineup. He's not going to tell us his rotation, but, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll find out a little bit about what's going on. And obviously, an important thing always is who's heard, who's not heard, who's practicing, stuff like that. Jabs, uh, like going into the season, you know, you said you haven't really had a chance to talk to many of the guys yet. What are what are some pressing questions on your mind? You know, just in general, just going into the season. Well, just like I mentioned, who's going to be playing? Who's starting? The competition for even know for playing time. I mean, Anthony said in the athletic piece a couple weeks ago that you know he didn't know his starting five, and I'm sure to a certain extent that's true. But I also believe he's probably got a pretty good idea. Uh, you know, if the season started tomorrow, who would be in a starting five? You know, three of the four guys are probably pretty sure. I think, you know, Kamara, Tamani Kamara is probably going to start. Yep. Hard to believe uh, Mustafa wouldn't start along with Weaver just because he's the most experienced guy on the team by a long shot. Uh, fourth guy, uh, that's the fourth and fifth guys really are for grabs, I would think. I mean, among the returners like Zimmy and RJ, Kobe Brea played a lot at the end of last season. I don't know. I can't, he could start. I don't know. Uh, Kobe Elvis could be in that mix because he got some experience last year at DePaul. And then you got the you know the, the four freshmen. Uh, Holmes, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see him start. So, Yeah, and it has to get down to that, right? We've talked about it a couple of times here on the preseason episodes. And if you, fair listener, have not listened to those episodes, go ahead and go back. They're not going anywhere. They're on our podcast page, Talking Out Loud. You can search that wherever you listen to podcasts. But I think that our questions have been just the same as what you just outlaid. And um, it's a great part of the season to kind of talk about this stuff, because I had a couple of people that messaged me one off after our episode last week that said, you know, I'm just starting to learn the names of the guys on the team. And and that was kind of I, I like that that perspective sometimes because it opens my eyes, because now that I've focused on the team for probably like a month and a half, I have gotten to know the names, but the average Dayton fan right now probably has forgotten a lot of the names that we're going to be accustomed to saying during the course of the season. So you're right. I think at this point, you know, season's about a month away. You can definitely count on Weaver, Amzil, and Kamara being kind of the core of the team. I think how far this team goes will probably be reliant a lot on those three guys. And then you're right, big crapshoot after that. Who's going to get time? And the roster is going to have to be whittled down at some point, which is why I mentioned a few weeks ago, there's going to be a couple guys from this team that transfer. And it's not really a negative thing. I'm not really presenting it in that light. It's more factual to say that the it's never been easier to transfer. And like you said, this rotation is going to get itself down to eight or nine one way or another by the time the conference play starts. And I don't think we have anything to point to the contrary. Um, as far as injury news that we know here on the podcast before Jabs talks to Anthony Grant, we know that Mally Smith has been walking around in a boot the last, I want to say, three to four weeks. Not sure how serious it is. They put those kids in boots for any number of reasons these days um, out of an abundance of caution, very 2021 phrase. Um, so look for that announcement from Grant. I don't know if he's going to allude to it or not, but 
One of the reasons we wanted to have you on today, Jabs, not so much before you talking to Anthony Grant, you'll certainly put out pieces about that, but you've been doing a ton of interviews for your UD Arena book, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. I started with uh, Don Donaher himself at the arena on September 2nd, I believe. Um, I've had a lot of good interviews since. Uh, Gary McCann's the longtime uh, ticket manager who was there from 1969 to uh, 2016 guy who knows that arena top to bottom and still can remember where basically everybody, every season ticket holder sit or sat over the years. So he was a great interview. Talked about almost getting run over by Elvis Presley's car back in the day. Elvis played at the arena three times, um, you know, back when it was a big concert venue. Um, had a great interview uh, last week with Keith Walskowski and Brooks Hall together at a sports bar, uh, you know, south of Dayton in Westchester. Turned out to be it was more like a Hooters sports bar, uh, not exactly Hooters, <laughs> a little bit more upper class. But we had a good plan that we had a great. That was probably the best interview yet. Those guys were are so good. I mean, they're used to talking about the Flyers on radio with uh, Larry Hansgen. so uh, you know I knew they would be good, but they were even better just talking about winning the 2003 championship on their home court. Brooks, both of them talked about the famous shot against uh, Villanova, his buzzer beater in that game, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, Larry Hansgen himself. I talked to him. Bucky was supposed to join us, but wasn't feeling good that day. So we had him on speakerphone. Um, and this morning, uh, Neil Solomon in his office at, at UD, he was great too. Uh, talking about uh, mo- mostly about the uh, three-year renovation project and, uh, and all that stuff. So uh, there have been a couple others in there, Anthony and Shauna Green uh, in their offices a couple weeks ago. Um, pretty excited. It's a good, it's a big project. You know, there's a lot of different things you got to touch on with a history book about UD arena, but it kind of got into my mind early in the summer. I thought, well, maybe it's something I'll do in three to five years when the kid's a little bit older and in school. And I was like, well, you know, why not? So just jumped into it. A lot of other arenas have books, arenas of similar stature, like Allen Fieldhouse. Hinkle has a Hinkle Fieldhouse has a book. Obviously, Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden. Even The Pit has a really big, beautiful book that was done on it. I don't know what mine will turn out to be, but I'm pretty excited about the, the start I've got on it. That's sister, really sister to the west, the pit, Drew. That's, that that's pit. I always love hey. you know how I love the pit. I, I it, love you've been the there. Pit. I really do. Have no, I there? haven't. But no, no, I just I'm such an advocate for UD to to. Well, first of all, I'm an advocate for New Mexico to get a better basketball program and start winning yeah. games, yeah. and then I will be an advocate for UD and New Mexico to always have a home and home right. because the the UD. A lot of people don't know this. Sorry, Drew. A lot of people know this, but UD Arena was designed after the pit. They are right. their oh, yeah. sister arenas, and a lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and longtime listeners of this podcast feed know how you and I both feel about the pit. <laughs> very passionate, very passionate, very, very passionate. Well, I will bring you the book on it. I, I bought it on. E- on I would uh, love that on eBay. Yes, I bought like seven books about arenas to inspire my my uh, research. <laughs> That's hey, got to get the source material from somewhere, right? No, and I went back and I, I saw the original uh, letters from. Uh, you know, New Mexico between New Mexico and uh, Tom Frerichs uh, and UD Special Archives. And gosh, the, uh, that's the good stuff, Sully. Yeah, no, there's a lot of good, stuff, a lot of good stuff in the archives. That's the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, you, you've been doing all you know, you've been doing all these interviews with a whole bunch of different people, and I'm sure you you've heard a lot of great stories and tidbits from others. But who was someone that may have surprised you a little bit when you started interviewing them, talking to them about UD Arena? And you quickly realize, like, whoa, like they actually have a lot of very interesting things to say. I'm gonna guess that it was the ticket guy. Yeah, I'm Gary. Uh, he was. He knows where the bones are buried. No, he, he you know, met, saw Frank Sinatra at the arena. Um, helped him in his dressing room. I mean, it's amazing the number of famous people who've been at the arenas. 
arena outside of just basketball people, you know, all the big yeah. concerts they had back in the day. Um, it, it went away from being a concert venue when they started building uh, the bigger arenas like the shot and see center and Cincinnati's arenas kind of took their business away, even Indianapolis. And there's a lot of good outdoor venues in in Dayton too, that took away the concert business kind of why they got out of it. Um, in the later days, like the nineties, they started hosting up and coming acts. Like Alan Jackson was there before he was famous, people like that. Um, but uh, now they don't, they're kind of out of the concert business altogether. Um, and I talked a little bit about Neil about that. They, they talked about whether when they did the arena project, should they, go after more concerts so they do some things to the arena to make it more uh, palatable to big names, but decided it wasn't worth it. Cause it w- wouldn't be, they wouldn't get any of the, the acts that they really wanted, no matter what they did. Um, but yeah. um, you know, somebody I didn't mention that I interviewed, I interviewed uh, Ken May and George Janky together at first watch a breakfast place in Kettering. Um, and George Janky, if you don't know, uh, was the leading scorer of the 69 team, the first team to play in the arena. Also, was a laborer on the project. He actually worked on the arena. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Those are the days, man. Those were the days. before his senior year. So, you know, the last couple months of construction, he was over there. You know, he, he was. Oh, that's awesome. I can't remember if he was actually, I don't think he was actually there when the, he wasn't working on it yet when the arena collapsed. Uh, but he was there, you know, a couple months after that, uh, you know, putting the finishing touches up there on the roof. I mean, doing some amazing work. Um, yeah, and, I, I can't picture Duran Holmes laying concrete in the summer months getting ready for the season. But and now uh, he doesn't have to. He can make money uh, off his NLI, his name, image, likeness. Yeah, now uh, he can advertise I for know, a concrete right. company that's laying over right. the summer. Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys were great. I mean, that, that, first, that first team, uh, you know, they have some, some big time names on it, uh, the 69 team. So. Um, What's the, the story? Best story that, the best story yeah, they told say, me though, was best story pre-arena. Was pre-arena a fight at the field house I'd never heard about. Um, I can't remember now. I, I posted it at the Twitter. You guys probably saw it back then. I forget what the team they were fighting with. Um, but there was a pretty big brouhaha and a UD fan slugged uh, an official during the uh, the chaos. And they, fit, they just canceled the game right there. Forfeited it, but gave the win to Dayton. And the the other team was like, "What the heck? I mean, it wasn't our fault. It was Dayton's fault. They should they should be the losers." But somehow Dayton got the W. Um, it's a pretty crazy story. That was in the Fieldhouse. <laughs> you know, it's I said this a couple of weeks on weeks ago on Twitter um, that I I always find the intersection of Dayton fans particularly fascinating because we we're now getting this faction of the fan base that. Um, for lack of a better term, want to have the we're better than that attitude. And I'm always quick to remind people that Dayton has never been, you know, finger air quotes here, better than that. I mean, you know, you just said it like in the 60s, we've, we've had fights in the arena before. We used to like throw stuff at opposing teams in the arena um, in the 70s. And we beat Notre Dame one time. They lit a fire truck on fire in the ghetto. So like UD does not have like this colored history of being like respectful, like basketball loving fans. Like we do, of course, love basketball, but there's really nothing to point to in our history to be like, oh, yeah, those Dayton fans are just great Catholic schoolboys that are respectful all the way to the end. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Drew, but our reputation, you know, back then, it doesn't really precede us, but. Yeah, Dayton fans have but plenty of um, 
tomfoolery in their in their checkered past. Well, right? and he, and here's the thing is that this section of the fan base who thinks we're that way never watched us play Xavier. They've never been no. to a Dayton Xavier game at the <laughs> arena. They're all new like fans. I, That's exactly could, right. We could write an entire book just on things we've seen in the Dayton Xavier games at UD Arena. We we truly could. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing, as we get further and further away from that, I'll never forget that because I grew up on it. But, you know, people who are younger than me coming into school now, they have no frame of reference for when Dayton played Xavier. So that's like, that kind of is the breaking point of like what you are calling this subsection of the fan base now, which, you know, we're all flyers together. Let's not get that two ways, but. Of course, I'm not, I'm not putting divisions in our fans. But it is kind of interesting it's like generations basically it's a whole nother generation of flyer fans who didn't get to experience you know the the olden days like here i am sounding like an old man but like the, <laughs> the days of when we played xavier because i lived i did live through that they, they didn't play when i was in school there but i lived it yeah and you're right like there's different eras of dayton fandom and they always have very um distinct separators right like the fans that live through the 90s are always quick to remind you that they lived through the 90s and there was a lot of losing right yes and then in the in the 2000s there was new fans that were like hey we're good again we're actually like a respectable basketball program and then the archie miller years were like hey we're this really good basketball program and the people before them were like well no wait a second we're not this great basketball program we're just uh you know we're an every now and again type of program And so you're right, like now we're kind of moving into this post-pandemic, post-2020, and when I say 2020, I mean the 2020 season, um, existence of Dayton basketball. And, you know, is our reputation going to be we're better than that? Eh, I don't think so. I don't think Dayton fans will ever be that that fan base. Um, I think we like being loud and obnoxious and, hey, you know, chip on our shoulder type of fans. Um, But... I don't know. I, I'm very interested to kind of see where the landscape of Dayton takes us from here because of what we just said, right? Like there's been all these like peaks and valleys, and I think we're headed towards a period of sustained success for the program. There's not that much to point to that, but that's where I think we're headed. Um, but Jabs, did, did um, anything surprise you from from doing these interviews over the last couple of weeks here? Well, while you guys were talking there, I looked up the tweet I had about the uh, fan uh, punching the referee and it was ah, perfect 1969 they were playing moorhead state the headline in the ddn was flyers win short 19th when fan wax referee the story was written <laughs> by hal mccoy who was still a couple years away from covering the reds uh but the referee interestingly enough his name was don sullivan not dan sullivan of talking yeah. out loud oh boy uh, yeah. yeah but uh it, the opponent was moorhead state and uh the, the referee's quote uh, about the game was, uh, this game is now terminated. And he went back to the locker room. He was done with the game. <laughs> the fan was never identified. I'm sure he'll come to light at some point. But sounds like you guys could do a whole podcast on this game, I'm telling you. Well, he yeah, had to go, yeah, he had to go catch the night there. shift. He had to go catch the night shift at the steel mill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So Moorhead. There was better things to do in college for, basketball that night. They didn't play Moorhead for a number of years after that. I looked it up to see if it was mentioned again when they re, when the rematch happened, but it wasn't. Uh, but yeah, George Janky was tripped. A fan kicked him in the eye, and then the referee got in the middle of it. It was crazy, crazy scene. <laughs> uh, putting the uh, putting the the spotlight back on um, on your uh, sterling work and everything you do for Dayton Daily News. Um, 
It seems like right now we're headed towards a college basketball season that will be relatively normal, depending on your stance on mask usage. Um, Won't get into that stance one way or another on this podcast because we're focused solely on basketball. But with that in mind, Jabs, um, what was the weirdest part for you last year covering the team? Obviously, you you had to do a lot of Zoom interviews. You weren't at a lot of the games because you couldn't be. What you know, looking back now that we have that hindsight, like what was the weirdest part for you specifically? Well, you just didn't feel as close to the the story, the the action when you weren't when I wasn't at the games. I only got to go to the 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 road games in the conference tournament. Uh, the company had a no travel policy; otherwise, you know, I would have been happy to go to all the games. But there weren't weren't a lot of people traveling throughout media last year. I know the Columbus Dispatch is their high state rider to get through all all their games, but that was pretty much the exception. I think in the A-10, there weren't many people going to games. So, you know, you had no idea. And I talked to Larry Hanskin about this. You had no idea, you know, who might be playing that game, who was hurt or who, uh, who might be returning from injury. And remember when Chapman returned for the Rhode Island game, nobody had any idea until he, you know, entered the game, even though uh, Larry talked to to Grant, you know, 30 minutes before the game, he didn't uh, uh, let that news out. Um, So, you know, first thing we do when we go to games is do a head count to see, See who's hurt because you know the coaches aren't going to go out of their way to tell you. You got to get tired of going to Kingston, Rhode Island, and Philly every year, right? Yeah, it was more exciting in the early years for sure. I've hit up all the big travel spots uh, over the years. I guess you can't, you can never see all, everything in New York City. So, so you, you, you've, Ooh, you've been kind enough to share a little bit what's in the book. Obviously, you're not going to share everything because you want people to, to get the dang thing when it comes out. So, my one question to you. Uh, jabs here is sell me the book. What, why should one of our fair listeners in which many of them probably will go out and purchase the book after what they've heard here during this interview, but you know, sell us the book. What, give us a, just a little bit of short sales pitch on why folks should go out and get this book when it becomes available. Well, I should say there's not a whole lot in the book yet. Cause I'm still doing the research and the interviews and I haven't written a lot. Your preliminary uh, sure. selling here, Jabs. Right? Your preliminary yeah. selling. You're trying to get investment here. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to generate buzz. I don't want people to get too excited yet because it's still a long <laughs> ways away from being done. Maybe next summer. That's my goal to have it done by then. Um, I'm not in a big hurry. The arena's not going anywhere. That's um, true. So. But uh, you know, the book is one. I mentioned all the other arenas that have books about them, and I think UD Arena is up there with all those arenas as far as uh, importance and history. The fact that it has hosted more NCAA tournament games than any other arena is a pretty good reason to write this book. Then you got the okay. fan base that has made it a top 30 uh, arena in attendance for 20, 30 years now. Um, the fact that so many famous people have been there. I'm going to have separate chapters on you know, Jordan and the Bulls visiting in 1995, right at the start of the second three-peat. Um, Obama was there for the first four. That's you know I remember that. a short chapter school. for sure. I mean, that was a pretty big uh, moment for the arena. Yeah, uh, along with David Cameron back in uh, 2012, I think. Um, uh, so many big moments I'll write about. Um, you know, there was a game between uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton when they were both in the NBA. They played an exhibition game there in the early 70s. Um, you got all the big concerts that I mentioned, you know, along with Elvis, Elton John, uh, all the big names. Uh, I don't think they are, are all going to get their own chapters, but uh, uh, the music history is, uh, is going to be interesting to a lot of people. There you go. Awesome. That's, Perfect. That's, that's exactly sale. what I was looking for. Yeah, exactly. That's yep, the that's sale, the sale right there. Yeah, I'm fine with it. It's the, Here's the title now. Duke fans, go. Kansas fans are going to kill me, and it's not an official title by anything, by any means, but the epicenter of college basketball, history, 
<laughs> Heck yes. I love it. Yeah. I, right? I, I mean, I, that, 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 that phrase, I did not start it. I've heard it a million times now. And I kind of looked up, I forget now who started it, but it goes back at least a decade. People I say probably Mark it. Adams. No, yeah, he might have. Yes. Um, <laughs> Any kitschy <laughs> phrase can usually be tied back to Mark Adams in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. No. I don't know. I don't know if that'll be the title, but that's my idea for now. The epicenter of college basketball. <laughs> well, uh, we're always glad to have you on the program, man. And it was a good time in the preseason here when we don't have too much going on with the guys on the floor and uh, media is about to start licking their chops to get some stories out of the flyers. So it's good time in October to catch up. Season is uh, 34 days away as of this recording, which again is Wednesday, October 6th and getting to you on Thursday, October the seventh jabs you want, you want my prediction do you want my prediction since i put you guys in print oh yeah that's right uh yeah before we let you go so jack if you're not if you're listening to this and you're not usually on the twitter machine um we had a podcast like back in july and we did like a little bit of tbt and then we did some recruiting news and then we put predictions out there and my prediction was i believe 24 and 7 and then we had two other predictions from Durs and Jeff, 23 and 8, 26 and 5. And Jabs went ahead and put those right there in print and put them in the Dayton Daily News. So now I'm going to be held accountable for this whole season for the prediction. So with that in mind, Jabs, yeah. go ahead. What's the prediction? Well, I didn't want those predictions to just disappear into the podcast uh, Can't. either. So no, they're sitting right they're here on my desk. I wrote them down. Firmly in stone as well as they could be. So here, here's my prediction. And I don't want Durs to be the most negative person in the prediction universe. So I'm going to go 22 wins, one short of Durs and nine, 22 and nine. Yeah. Okay. Now Durs probably adds on six wins for the NCAA tournament and all that, but I'm just going, let's just go regular season. Okay. Yeah. Regular season. Correct. Exactly. Put me down 22 and nine. Okay. Durs is going to be at 30 wins before the first game tips off. I'm just <laughs> going to come right out and say it. Yeah. The fan optimist of the podcast. Yeah, of course. Either that um, or the, his 23 win season leads to the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. Something like that. Yeah, correct. It's there's always a tie in and there's always a setup for what he's doing. Yeah. Um, Drew, I guess before we let jobs go, now you have to do the prediction thing. Oh, now you're putting it on. I'll go 23 wins, 23 and eight, 23 and eight. That's where you had them too. All right. Fair yeah, enough. Yep. That's, that's, that's a perfect way to end the segment of uh, jabs as always. Thank you for your time. And we will surely catch up later on this season. You're welcome. Talk to you later guys. That's David Jablonski of Dayton Daily News. Stick around. We got Jeff Nadeau, big man on campus on the back half of the show. You're listening to Talking Out Loud. And to round out the show here on Talking Out Loud this week, I have a special guest, Yo Jablo, in the middle of the program there. He's been on the show many times. Recurring guests will always have him on because he's from the Dayton Daily News. But today, special guest, and this one's long overdue, he goes by the big man on campus, at Jeff Nadu. But I just, you know, I call him Nadu. So what's going on, Nadu? It's great to have you finally on the show, man. Thank you for having me, Sully. Uh, I uh, enjoy your work. I always love coming on. Um, shows that are kind of dedicated to one program. Obviously, you guys are the biggest fans, and and you're you're very uh, passionate. So, yeah, I mean, anytime I can talk college basketball and and get ready for another season, I'm I'm all in. 
Hell yeah, man. And that's kind of like the best part about right now for Dayton fans is that like the season's you know a month away, but we still have a thirst to kind of let's get into, you know, let's peel back the layers of the onion, right? Let's figure out what teams are good, what teams are going to be relevant. Let's figure out what we have. Um, there's just not as much emphasis on Dayton football. Now, we did just have a good Monday night game where two coaches were from the University of Dayton. So we're, we're wading into the football school waters, but have not yet uh, gotten all the way in. So, you know, this time of year, it's great to talk basketball, man. And that's that's what we like to do. And like you said, I think we connected uh, maybe like February of last year. And the reason I had to have Nadeau on is because I, I started to like him right off the bat, because just like this program, he tells it like it is. And that's been your brand, man. Whether it's it's your teams or not your teams, you're going to tell it like it is. And I love that. Yeah. You know, I, um, I kind of live my life uh, the way of I, I kind of just do what I feel and, and, and I'm not going to deal with stupidity. I feel like if you say something <laughs> stupid nowadays, you know, people just kind of let it slide. And it's like, well, for sure, you know, that's not really how I do things. And I feel like if you say something, you're not going to just get a pass with me. You know, you're going to have to explain yourself. And, um, you know, I think one thing about me that I enjoy, especially with shows like this, is, you know, I love the Atlantic 10. Um, you know, growing up, my favorite team, Temple, was part of the A-10. And I've always had a soft spot for this conference. And, um, yeah, really in general. I mean, if if you were a Mississippi Valley State podcast, if you were a, a Southern Utah, it wouldn't matter to me. I, I love all the teams. And, um, you know, I think for you guys it's great because – you know, it's a little different. You don't have, as you said, the the Division One school like an Iowa or a or a Kentucky or something where you can talk about football. Um, you're kind of just basketball. And and you know, I remember last, I think it was two years ago, back when Obi was still there. Um, I took a lot of shit from your fan base because I felt like <laughs> they'll when, give it to you. <laughs> yeah, when the Penn State job came open, when Patrick Chamber was was fired, I made it a point to say that if I were Penn State, I'd have went after Anthony Grant. <laughs> and a lot of people came at me and said, he's not going to leave Dayton to go to Penn State. And I said, well, well, first of all, I feel like he would. I would go from the Atlantic 10 to the Big 10. I don't think people quite understand that. But, you know, they definitely love their basketball in Dayton. And, um, you know, I, I love passionate fan bases. And you're right. I do kind of say what I feel. And, you know, that has developed me over the years. A lot of people that don't like me. But, um, you know, I think for me, when I look back on all this, when this is all over eventually, because I have an end game for all this stuff. Um, this yep. will all be just kind of something I, I remember. And hopefully people will remember me as somebody that, uh, you know, I'm not trying to get corny, but hopefully they remember me as somebody that didn't take any shit. And, uh, you know, because <laughs> I think that's how people get excited about people. They have to. For sure. Know, if, if everyone hates you, um, you know, then, you know, that's fine. But you want people to like you and to hate you because they both watch yeah. you the same amount. So if people yeah. are just like, oh, I don't really care about that person, then it's not that cool. Well, I mean, if, if nobody cares about you, then you're not saying anything that's unique. Um, and I think I've run up against that in this show because, um, yeah, I've towed the line over the years about what I'll say. Um, I caught a lot of shit last year because Jalen Crutcher, the point guard, went on Twitter after a loss. And I was like, hey, this isn't really the best place that you need to be, especially after a loss. And people kind of took it the wrong way. Like, I was like, stay off Twitter. But really, like, I think that's a lot of the problem is like a lot of this back and forth goes on Twitter without context. And, um, you know, just to your point, it's the exact same way here where I've pissed some people off. But I did say that I had made it in the Dayton podcast game when I had people like going out of their way to hate me. Because then again, you know, it's like I'm saying stuff that's at least unique, but I've never been like much of a hot take guy. You know, I don't need to be a hot take guy because sometimes 
the things that people don't like to hear are the truth and you can at least stand behind that, right? Well, you know, one thing, Sully, that I've learned is that, you know, whether you have these people, like I have people that literally they spend their entire day talking about me. That's all they like, do. What's, what's Nadu doing? Yeah. yeah. No, like, <laughs> no, like they go out of their way to like find out where I get my hair cut and they like, uh, you know, literally will come to my house. I mean, that, that's happened in the past. So it's like, but, but I just know like those so people. Bizarre in a way are like my biggest fans because anytime I do a show, they're there listening to it. So it's like, yeah. you know, I, I really, like I said, I used to get mad about it and, and I used to let people, you know, kind of get to me and bother me, but I don't mind being a villain, man. You know, I, yeah, I just, you got to play that role, man. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, but, and I also know that I have people that really respect what I do and, and appreciate what I do. And um, those people are great as well. So yeah, um, it's funny because when I went to the Eagles game on Sunday and I had a few people come up to me and they're like, Hey, you know, I, I listened to you. I knew you from Barstool or whatever. And um, I did have one guy that was negative to me. And, you know, he still was kind of cool, though, about it. He just said something funny. I'm like, oh, that's funny. And we kept walking, you know. It's, yeah. It is what it is. I don't let it bother me. Just do what you enjoy doing. And, and all this stuff on the Internet, man, doesn't mean anything at the end of the day, you know. And it's in five, ten years, you know, it's, it's just it's a blip on the radar. Yeah, it's it's definitely fodder, man. See, I I haven't had that yet. Like, I always get people to come up and say, "Hey, listen to the show when I'm around Dayton," or you know, let's get some beers. But I still say, like to this day, with all the tough guys I get on Twitter, I've never had somebody actually confront me face to face negatively. You know, I had a guy one time, Sully. This is a true story. I won't get too graphic, but I had a guy (laughs) um, that was bothering me for about a week and a half. He was another handicapper. Um, he made some comments to me that he was going to blow my head off if I ever came to Las Vegas. He was telling me that it's it's on site if he ever sees me, all this shit. Yeah, gambling um, Twitter's crazy for all those people yeah. out there that don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I had to go out to Vegas for a, a handicapping conference. I got invited to to talk about football. And um, I, I go out there, and, and I'm sitting there the day of the conference. It was a three-day thing, and it was a Saturday I was speaking. I'm sitting there down in the Golden Nugget, right? I'm eating like a mm. muffin. It's like 9 in the morning. <laughs> and this this kid, this little scrawny kid comes up to me and goes, what's up, big man? I'm like, who are you? I just like I always said to him, he's like, yeah. I'm so-and-so. I'm like, oh, you're the guy that was going to blow my head off last week. And he acted like we were cool. He's like, oh, but I was just kidding. Like, <laughs> I had too much to drink. And I'm just like, yeah, but like, you literally what are you doing like, here? told me you were going to commit homicide against me. And now you're like <laughs> trying to power. It's just... That's the thing about the internet, man. Like you can say and be who you want. So I've always been upfront about who I was and I know people are going to clown me. Sometimes people are going to like me, but I look at it all as promotion and, and whether it's good or bad is what it is. I don't Yeah. Yep, exactly, man. Like you said, just keeping the conversation unique. And, and like I said, that's why I want to have you on tonight, just because it's uh, it's a good time in the preseason. You know, we're talking hoops, and yeah. it uh, we don't have to get worried about being bogged down by football. My show, thankfully, can exist in parallel with football. The live radio show has to take a backseat for a couple of months until Ohio State football gets out of the way. But um, we're, we're getting back to it slowly but surely. Um, to kick it off tonight, so one of the reasons I wanted to have Jeff on is that he did a A10 preview. Uh, it's up on his Patreon page. You can check him out anytime. Subscribe to his page. That is patreon.com backslash BMOC. It stands for Big Men on Campus. So in that breath, before we get to the A10 trivia, you said you're a guy that grew up with uh, Temple from Philly, of course. And I just want this to be a lesson to everybody out there in podcasting, all right? 
I hate Philly. I've always hated Philly. I'm a Pittsburgh guy, all right? And they do is an Eastern PA guy. He's from Philly. I just want everybody to know that this is possible if you just put your BS aside and have a conversation with somebody. Eastern PA, Western PA, Xavier podcast, Dayton podcast. You know, I'll always talk to people who have good, honest, unique things to say. So I just wanted to get that out of the way for the audience, all right? I've never been a big Philly fan. I think you know that about me. You know, I'm just so, putting cards on the table. Yeah, no, and that's I, – look, I will say I don't I don't have any beef with Western Pennsylvania. So where are you from in Western PA? See, there you go. I'm from uh, from the South Hills in in, uh, in Pittsburgh. So. so when I was – when I was growing up, when I went to high school, our my senior year, our basketball team is super good, and I still am a big high school basketball fan around here. Um, when I was in you know high school, it was great. I mean, we had some really terrific teams out of Chester and Philadelphia, and even where I was from. Um, but I remember back then in 2007 when I graduated high school, there was a team in Western Pennsylvania, uh, Shenley. Oh I yeah, they had uh, Dwan Blair. Dwan Blair, yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. a terrific, terrific team, man. I uh, I used to love those teams. They actually, um, I think, won the state title that year. They had Dwan Blair and uh, DJ Kennedy, Kennedy, I believe. Yep. Um, DJ Kennedy, yeah, that was a great team. Um, so yeah, I've always, I've always respected that that area. I've never been out there. I've never had a reason to go out there, but um, <laughs> that's yeah, right. It's interesting. I I was a big Mac Miller fan. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah. yeah see, no, well, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't like. I hate Western Pennsylvania like you do. No, you're absolutely no, you're absolutely right. And I think that Pittsburghers wear this as like a. It's um. It's kind of the same mentality that Dayton fans have because yeah. uh, And it's actually how the Steelers treat the Browns. Like the, the Steelers like don't consider the Browns. I guess up until this past year, right? And it used to drive Browns fans crazy because they're like, I would rather you hate us than not pay attention to us at all. And I think that's the same thing with Pittsburgh and Philly. Like people in Pittsburgh like hate people in Philly, but people in Philly like can't really be bothered to care one way or another. And that just like embroils people in Pittsburgh more. They're like, no, why you should care about us. Let's have this rivalry. I definitely think it's for sure. Like, and I don't think I'm saying anything that's out of line, but I feel like Philadelphia (laughs) is much more known than Pittsburgh. Sure. Oh yeah. Oh, for Um, sure. I went out to the West coast and people kept saying like, Oh, Pittsburgh. Like, Oh, I've been to Philadelphia. I'm like, like, that's not anywhere near each other. No one ever (laughs) goes to Pittsburgh. Have you, (laughs) you, do you know anything or follow anything about Pitt or no? No, so I I keep it 100 on this podcast. Everybody knows that I do not like Pitt, never have, never will. They're just not like a program for me and I don't follow. And, you know, my life has been rooted in this podcast. So it's like, you know, I, I, I my my affiliations are very well spoken for, um, which is why I can hit you with A10 Trivia, which is where I was going with this anyway. Um, <clears throat> so got the trivia music playing in the background. Get that fired up. So. A10 Trivia tonight is historical A10 Trivia because you said to me that you have followed the league since the heyday in the 90s because back in those days, Temple, um, you well, know, John Chaney. I'll and- say this. I was a kid. I was, I mean, I remember 2000, 2001. It was a great season in Philadelphia because Temple yeah. went to the Elite Eight and the Sixers went to the NBA Finals. So, yeah. Um, but I was a young tyke. I was, I was only uh, you know, young, not even teens at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, we joined the conference in 1995. That's a hint for this question I got coming up here. But, um, you know, those were the greatest days of the conference, like late 90s, early 2000s. You had John Chaney. You had Xavier coming into their own with Skip Prosser. And then Sean Miller took over. You had uh, Calipari who came and went and UMass in the mid 90s. I mean, those are big rivalries. So my question to you is, what three members of the A-10 currently were founding members of the conference dating back to 1976. What three members 
founding members of the A10 founding are currently members. current members. Current members. Uh, I'll go with um, GW. That's one. Okay. Um, I mean, they've been around forever. I feel like. Uh, yeah. yeah. LaSalle. Nope, not LaSalle. UMass. UMass is is another one. Um, the third one is actually from my hometown. It is Duquesne. Okay. Um, and Duquesne's like weird it. though because they left for like thirty years or twenty years or whatever, and then they came back. So yeah. a little different. But yeah, Keith Dambrot, a good coach. Uh, they they've uh, made the move, and uh, yeah, look, they. Uh, I, I forgot about them. T.J. McConnell went to Duquesne, and then he went to Pitt. So yeah, he's from right right down gonna... the street from me. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. Um, so let's get into it, man. Uh, you were at A10 preview again, up on your site. First things first, what'd you learn about the A10 conference? Cause I'm sure it was the first time you kind of got under the hood to take a look at the teams, right? Well, the A10 is one that I'm always kind of, you know, embroiled in and you know, I, I've always been a big Richmond guy. I've always enjoyed what Mooney does over there. He's a, I think he's a great coach. He's always done some really good things there. One mm. of the, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Chris Mooney's, I think, top 20 in America as far as winning his coaches that, you know, he's kind of been on the same teams, won a lot of games. Um, I've always enjoyed Mark Schmidt over at St. Bonnie's. And I think what I learned about this conference is that I don't think it's as good as years past. I'll just be honest. I, think I agree. St. Louis takes a bit of a backward step. Not that I don't think I think there'll be a solid team. Um, I think VCU will struggle losing, obviously, Ace Baldwin uh, to his Achilles injury. Um, you know, losing some of the talent to uh, Bones Highland, obviously. Um, Corey Douglas, they, they lost some kind of backups there. And look, Baldwin hurts. I don't know if Tashonis come, can come in right away and be the, the heir apparent. And look, I'll be honest, Dayton, um, you know, how does this team kind of handle not having Jalen Crutcher and look, Obi Toppin's a distant memory. This mm-hmm. team really struggled, as you know, turning the basketball over last year, just a major oh, yeah. issue. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, and, and that's what's so concerning because last year they had Crutcher and it's like, well, we don't have him this year. What do you do now? And you've a few guards that I think are kind of unproven. They're new yep. players and it's concerning. I mean, when you're looking at even like their non-steal percentage turnovers, so like those are unforced turnovers, stepping on the end line, traveling, um, you know, all that kind of thing. They, they were really low, one of the worst in the country. So their ball security was a complete mess. And what that leads to is a lot of crooked numbers. Um, there are games where you might not even score 50 points. There's just there's a lot of kind of volatility with, with your team. So yep. I'm a bit concerned for 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 them from that standpoint. But there there's a lot to like with them too. You know, I like – Emzo, obviously, and, and Kamar comes over from Georgia. That'll be a nice uh, front court. It's really just going to be a question of what is this, what is this guard play? They're a little big yeah. on the uh, on the on the perimeter, which is good, but there's a lot of, of of concern there as well. Yeah, I agree, and we've talked about it now for a couple of weeks since I started the podcast back up before the season. Um, but the story of Dayton going into the year, because there's always like you know, I don't want to say like a narrative, but going into the year, you usually have things kind of defined out into certain buckets. Like right now, everybody's going to pick St. Bonaventure to be the conference front runner. They're the preseason favorite. They bring back the talent, and then Richmond will be right behind them because same thing. They bring back all of their talent. Dayton's a total wild card. I don't think there's any possibility they'll finish lower than sixth. But the story on Dayton right now is that they're they have a ton of talent, right? Just talent on the roster. 
between the transfers they brought in and the freshmen. But you're right. There's two questions. How much production is the freshman class going to give Dayton? And then the other side of the coin, just like you said, is what are they going to get from their guard play? Because Elijah Weaver is, like you said, unproven. Um, He didn't really show anything that was overly impressive last year, but he also wasn't the guy with the ball in his hands all the time. Um, So that's kind of where Dayton sits right now. And I'm really... I'm kind of like making my peace with all their preseason rankings being between like three and six, because that's probably where they should be. Um, but I said this once I've said it before, and I actually kind of want to get your thoughts on it as someone who has an outside perspective on the program, given like the resources and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. The overall resources and support that this program has here in Dayton. I don't feel like there's ever a reason they should finish lower than six in the conference ever especially when you look down at some of the other schools and their, you know, status as programs. Right. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I would say even five, I I think with, with kind of the pedigree they have with their ability and you look at their coaching staff, I mean, it's, there's no reason they shouldn't recruit. Well, that's a pretty good area to recruit. And look, I I think they did a nice job with, with even this class coming in. I mean, you know, Lynn Greer, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, Lynn Greer, his father played on that temple team in 2000. I, I used to love Lynn Greer. He's one of my favorite players. And you know, his father, Lynn Greer's father was a great player. Uh, so his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you should be really excited. I saw him play at Roman Catholic in, in Philadelphia, and then he went to IMG. But, you know, he's a guy. That's a great, you know, get from Under them. the radar get. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's really good. But you're right. I don't, I don't think they should ever finish under, you know, fifth. Because when you look at it, you know, this conference kind of is what it is. Uh, you know, Davidson's always good offensively, but they never get any stops. Rhode Island is kind of the opposite. They're always pretty good defensively, but their offensive talent isn't always there. Um, yep. you know, George Mason's always just kind of, you know, turning their gears. And, and then you Kim have English real, air is upon us, man. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you have like the real bad teams like Fordham and St. Joe's and, and, and groups like that. But yeah, it's a usual pecking order of, of St. Bonaventure, Richmond, VCU, and, and Dayton in, in one particular order. But, you know, Dayton, I mean, when you look at this team, I mean, they had 61 more turnovers than their opponents last year, which is not – that's <laughs> not a real feasible way to, to win. Um, they also struggled to just get shots up. I saw a great uh, – my friends over at uh, Three Men Weave, they do a great job. They, they did a kind of a piece on Dayton, and they talked about how – their opponent, Dayton's opponents last year had more than 200 field goals than Dayton did, which yeah. kind of just shows you that they didn't create extra possessions by stealing the basketball. They, they didn't have like quick hands. They, they didn't get shots up. It was there are a lot of wasted possessions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of just running around and then realizing, oh, wait, we have to do something with the ball and they throw up a bad shot. So it's like, I don't know. And when I look at it and I say, like, what do I expect? Did I expect it to be fixed this year? I don't know. Not really. I mean, they're also not going to have uh, Jordy Shamanga either, who, I mean, their defensive numbers went down significantly when he wasn't on the court. So, yeah, which is hard to believe, to be honest with you. Like, af- after like watching the season, I was very surprised to see that. I was glad you brought up the three men weave because they were on the show last week doing the exact same thing we're doing right now. Um, yeah, they were, uh, they were on my, um, they were on my pod a lot last year. Big men on basketball. They uh, they're good guys. They're great. They know a lot about college basketball, and, uh, and yeah. I'm glad they glad they came on your stuff as well. Yeah, man, they know the situation. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, um, I, I don't think they're gonna miss Jordy 
anymore just because of the talent that they brought sure. in. Right. Um, like that's just kind of how I'm looking at it now on paper. You could look at it and say, all right, well, they're, they're missing their big man who was kind of the key to the defense last year. But from a fan perspective, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like hard sometimes, you know how, like when you look at stats and sometimes they're hard to reconcile with, like that is one of them where I saw that. And I was like, how could that possibly be? Jordy always looked like out of position. And he, he certainly had games when he shined, but they were fewer and further between than the numbers would indicate. So I always tell people, head on over and read that preview about the three-man weave um, because it was very well done. And like I said, they do they go into great detail to kind of highlight what are the schemes, what are the sets that they're running offensively, and, and more in-depth things that you wouldn't necessarily get at ESPN if you're logging in. Um, they, they did a – I will say Dayton did a very good job with their front court. I mean, whether yeah. it's Amzel, Kamara – I mean, Deron Holmes is a guy, uh, you know, Nakweji, he's a guy. I mean, you probably have a better pronunciation than I do. Sissoko, obviously, as well. So they their bigs are, are definitely interesting. But, look, yeah. I'll relate Dayton a little bit, Sully, to Memphis. Okay, Memphis is oozing with talent. They're probably the most talented roster in college basketball with Bates and 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 and, and Duran and, and just all the talent. But their guard play is not good enough. And it's yeah. like, I think that holds them back. They're oozing with talent, but it's like you have to have a, a floor general and a conductor to run the offense. And that was their issue last year. And and I think that could be their offensive issue this year. And Dayton's kind of similar in that retrospect. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, all right, so we're talking about A-10 preview. So you got to do what I have everybody do on the show here. And it is how many bids does the A-10 get when all is said and done? And who are the teams that matter for those bids? And I always say that because if you think there's going to be three bids, like I think right now we're probably talking about five or six teams that even have the possibility to get those three bids. And I, uh, I'm back and forth right now on whether the A-10 is going to get two or three, but I'm kind of leaning towards two. I think it's just going to be one of those years. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was going to say two, um, maybe. I I could see a situation. Yeah, I would say Richmond and Bonnie are probably the, the two teams. I, I'd i be hard-pressed to feel like anyone else can do it. I just don't think this is a good league outside of those two teams. Yeah. We'll see with, with St. Louis and with Dayton. I think they could be kind of on the bubble, if you will. Yep. Um, you know, but St. Louis always seems to have some sort of problem that prevents them from getting there, and they're going to have some issues with – I think cohesion. And that's another thing about Dayton. Dayton and St. Louis have the issues with when you're looking up at Dayton and Richmond, the thing that both those teams have is continuity, cohesion. They've all played together. There's a lot of new faces on not only Dayton, but on St. Louis. VCU for that matter as well. When you're looking at Bonnie, they bring back everybody from last year's team. Richmond brings back everyone outside of Blake Francis. So, you know, you want those veteran cohesive teams. And yeah, I I would say there's two. And I, I think, you know, I've said before, I said it publicly today, um, I've already bet St. Bonaventure to win the entire thing. I know a lot of people say, well, how are they going to win their St. Bonaventure? For me, it's not necessarily about them winning. I just believe they could make a run in the NCAA tournament. I think they're a four or five seed probably. I think they're that good. I kind of related them to, to the Dayton team of a couple years ago. I don't think this team is going to have any trouble hanging with some really good teams in college basketball. I have them as the best mid-major team, and I don't consider Gonzaga a mid-major. So sure remember that um i think they're really really good um but yeah i would say i would say i think there's two uh, we'll see if one of the the daytons or the, the st louis's or the vcus can find their way to the bubble 
Yeah, and that's that's really the question we're talking about right now is like, do we have enough talent? Does it all come together in time for us to kind of get on that bubble? And um, hey, that's that's a remains to be seen type of question here in October. Um, but that's why I write the previews. That's why we have the conversations. That's why we have guys like yourself on um, for I mean, they don't do them. I'll tell you this real quick. They don't do yeah. they don't really do themselves any favors with their out of conference schedule. I mean, oh my God, I know. this is not a particularly good out of conference schedule for to be real honest. I mean, you, you know, Virginia tech and Ole Miss, those are decent games. They're not going to move the needle ton when it comes to uh, the committee. Uh, if you're looking at an at large kind of thing, I mean, SMU is a decent game, but I mean, you're not going to move the needle playing UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, Austin, <laughs> Alabama state, Northern fucking preaching to the choir, my I mean, man, believe those me. Are dread Southern. I mean, these are bad basketball teams and, you know, I get that the little programs, that's how they, that's how they fund their athletic pro programs. You know, if you go to a team like Coppin state for that matter, they literally fund their athletic program through basketball pay, pay games. So hundred percent, you know, I get it, but you know, this is stuff where you have to challenge yourself and selves. And, and that was one of the reasons I love that OB team because you, know, they went out and played in Maui, you know, they, they went out and, and challenged themselves a grant and, and this uh, athletic program didn't, didn't really do themselves favors with the schedule. Yeah, I mean, the 2020 season, there was a couple of good opportunities, um, well, to be honest with you. Too. Yeah, I mean, they didn't they, they played a neutral game against Colorado and they lost. And then unfortunately, yeah. they did a neutral game against St. Mary's, who didn't end up being that good. But right. your point is well taken this year in that the schedule was like a B, B minus when I didn't know about any of the other games. Right. When I knew that they were going to play SMU, Old Miss, Virginia Tech, and then they had to go to the Orlando tournament ended up drawing Miami, Florida. So that's a pretty decent game, right? On a neutral floor. And they have a chance to play Kansas. So I was like, all right, with those five games, I think that's pretty good as long as we give ourselves maybe one or two more opportunities. And then they didn't do any of that. So they're going to play four games before Thanksgiving. And then they'll play the the tournament in Orlando. And really, here's the problem I have with the schedule. And I, I am, I'm, you know, you hit on a point that I talk about a lot on the show is that now Dayton's opportunities are extremely finite and they don't have multiple opportunities to make up if they do end up slipping, right? Because let's say that you don't have a strong showing in Orlando. Beating like, you know, Virginia Tech at home is not going to make up for a bed shitting in Orlando. And, and so that's kind of where I'm at is that you have to at least play some teams that are going to be inside the top like 200. And when you tell me that we're, we have seven games against crap teams, I mean, that's just hard to stomach as a program who really needs quality wins when at and, the end of the day, you know, we're trying like to get you kind of said, you can't bank on the fact, like, what if like, let's just say they lose to Miami and they're out of that tournament. Like then what you're going to miss out on a game like against Kansas or Alabama that you could have had. And look, the truth of the matter is that you have, let's say 12 out of conference games. There's one, I, I think Virginia tech or SMU, th those are probably the only possible uh, tournament teams here. So, yep. you know, unless look, I know a lot about the Atlantic sun. Lipscomb's not winning the Atlantic sun. Austin, <laughs> yep. he's not, you know, they might win the OVC, but you know, when you're looking back, oh, UMass Lowell's not winning the, the America East. So there's not, there's not even like, you're not playing Vermont. You're not playing yeah. uh, South Dakota state, like teams that are good and probably will make the tournament. This is not a good resume. And, and as you said, if you don't play well and lose to Miami, you know, you're, you're going to miss out on playing and getting your shot against Kansas or someone else.
Yep. Yep. You're exactly right, man. And, and um, the, the season's a month away. I got plenty more time to, to contemplate it and bitch about the schedule because that's what I do love to do so much. Um, but uh, before we close up shop for tonight, uh, Nadu has has a song suggestion that I'm going to drop in to end the show this evening. And the show went long because I had two guests and we had some things to talk about in the front of the show. So, you know, sometimes I give you a longer episode. Sometimes I don't. Listeners, right? That's how it goes. But um Listeners know they do that every guest on my show gets final thoughts, and uh, you're certainly no different, my friend. What are your final thoughts for the Dayton listeners tonight before I take it out? Yeah, I, I think a great fan base. Uh, I, 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 as you said, I, I think you can always regard them as you're going to get something good from Dayton. I love this league. I, I'm, I think you guys are lucky to have it, and I'm glad you're, you're in it. Uh, watch out for, uh, you know, and, and get per- Lynn Greer. That, that's such a great. I'm going to be very interested in seeing how he plays. Hopefully, he can play well for. <laughs> for Dayton. Uh, but I, I'm going to try to get out there someday and see a game. Uh, I know it's a good, uh, fruitful area for, uh, fertile area for a college basketball. So uh, I'm glad you're going to play my song too. This is my favorite rap song ever. <laughs> yeah. But I, before the show started, I asked they do that to come ready with a song suggestion and, and he was fully ready. Um, but rest assured, my man, if you ever make it out to Dayton, uh, the first round is, is definitely on me and you'll now have some, some friends of the flyer that, uh, will be there to have a brew with you as well. So you're, you're welcome to the gem city anytime, my friend. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks, Sully. Appreciate you having me. Oh, yeah, man. So that is Jeff Nadu. Again, you can find him Patreon backslash BMOC. And we are taking you out with Freeway. Um, and the song is What We Do. This is featuring Jay-Z, but it's Freeway. The song is called What We Do. Uh, until next week, there are two rules on my program. You wear red, you be loud, and we'll catch you next Thursday. We still hustle till the sun come up. Crack a 40 when the sun go down. It's a cold winter. Y'all niggas better bundle up. And I better be a hotter summer rapper on you just to rock it down. You hot now, listen up. Don't you know cops' sole purpose is to lock us down and throw away the key. But without this drug shit, your kids ain't got no way to eat, huh? We still try to keep mom smiling. Cause when the teeth stop showing and the stomach start growling, then the heat start blowing. If you're from the hood, I know you feel me. If a sneak start leaning and a heat stop working, then my heat start working. I'ma rob me a person, catch a nigga sleeping while he out in the open. And I'ma get it. We gotta raise our kids while we living, make a million off a record belt. My niggas out of prison. Fuck a Benny or Alexis. Just my boys in the squatter. Nigga talk reckless, then I hit him with the smithin'. But I'm never snitching, I'm a rider. If my kids hungry, snatch the dishes out your kitchen. I be wildin' till they pick me out of lineup. Out. Y'all don't want to witness shit. We squeeze hammers, man. 
piano, man. Rain, sleet, hell, snow, man. Slang, dope, hydro, man. No, BC in the third lane. Ram still praying, working on my nerves, man. Like, son, you gotta get your soul clean. Before they blow them horns like cold train. Still, I cry tears of a hustler, wipe tears from my mother, pull out beds for our brothers. That's above us, make beds for the babies, tuck kids under covers, buy cribs for their mothers. Shit, I probably be wildin' with they father, tell Miss Robin, tell the Najma that I'm riding for a father. That's like my brother, like same mother, different father. Any problems, dog, know I got it. And still, we grind from the bottom just to make it to the bottom, so crackin' the alley waste. Still gave back Marcy and Dollar Day. Real gangsters make hood holidays. They ain't but we still pay homage, man. So fool Sunday looking like Big Mom.